The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention plays a significant role in preparing for and responding to public health emergencies. How has the CDC's emergency response process changed in recent years? What improvements can still be made? And what can doctors and patients do on the local level to prepare for emergencies? You're listening to ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Disaster Medicine. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu, practicing general pediatrician and author. Our guest is Dr. Richard Besser, pediatrician and director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's Coordinating Office for Terrorism Preparedness and Emergency Response. Welcome, Dr. Besser. Thanks for having me on the show. As director of this unit, you're responsible for all of CDC's public health emergency preparedness and emergency response activities. In the time of, um, of an emergency, what is the CDC's role in response compared to other entities such as FEMA, the military, American Red Cross, and state health departments? CDC's role during an emergency is very similar to its role during a non-emergency situation. The core functions of public health need to continue during an emergency. Many of the systems that are used during an emergency are different and are are, are makeshift, but the functions are the same. These include things like health monitoring and surveillance, understanding what diseases might be occurring in a community as a result of the emergency, or ensuring that diseases that were present before the emergency don't get out of control. Epidemiology and other assessment services. In a community, there are always individuals who have communicable diseases. Will those individuals stay in treatment during an emergency? Do they have the resources that are needed to continue that? Will we know where they're going so that they're able to continue with their treatment wherever they may be relocated? Another core function of public health has to do with laboratory services. CDC has a very important role in terms of ensuring that we have laboratories in place for uh, diagnosing infectious diseases, for identifying chemicals that may have been released in the community, or if there's something, heaven forbid, like a nuclear event, ensuring that we are able to determine who's been exposed and what treatment they need. There are other critical parts of public health that need to continue. And one of the most important has to do with health communications. And by this, I mean letting people in the community know what the risks are and how those conditions they might be at risk for could be prevented. An example of that is what we're dealing with during hurricane season. When there's a situation in which the power is out in the community, people will uh, frequently uh, purchase generators, and that's a good thing to do. It, it allows them to have power. It allows them to maintain their food in a, in a cold refrigerator. But if these generators are not used properly, it can lead to very severe consequences, in particular the problem of carbon monoxide poisoning. Whenever there's a hurricane, we get very nervous about the issue of carbon monoxide poisoning, and it's very common that we will see issues of carbon monoxide poisoning following a hurricane. When you have a situation and evacuees are are placed in a place with multiple other people, do you tend to see certain conditions such as maybe foodborne illnesses or respiratory conditions that are aggravated by, by being outside of their normal setting? You know, one of the things that's critically important during an evacuation, especially if you're setting up shelters, is that there, there needs to be appropriate infection control practices in place to try and prevent outbreaks of respiratory disease or outbreaks of foodborne disease. Uh, if you have an evacuation during flu season, it's very important that everyone coming into that shelter gets a flu shot. That's another reason that you need to think about annual flu vaccination as part of preparedness for a community. You don't know when a disaster is going to hit, but if your community has high levels of coverage, you, that's one less thing that you need to worry about. When you're putting people into a shelter, you know, are you ensuring that there's enough space between each cot so that common respiratory infections are not passed from person to person? 
Uh, are you ensuring that the food that is put out is done in a safe manner so that people are not going to get sick from the food that's served in a rapidly assembled shelter? And is the water that you're providing in that shelter clean? Are there enough latrines so that individuals who are staying there are able to be comfortable and confident that they're not going to become sick from an aspect of the services you're providing? What about once evacuees return back to their homes? Are there some health conditions that people need to be aware of? One of the critical things in returning to your home following an emergency has to do with just the basics of clean water, clean food, Those things are very important, and public health has a critical role in ensuring that those things are are present. The public health system is what does restaurant inspections. The public health system is what ensures that your water is tested and that it's not full of coliforms. Uh, Following any outage in power, those functions are very important. And what you will frequently see in a situation where there has been a power outage, where there's been a, a, a breakdown in those systems, is you'll see boil water orders put into place. That's great if the power is in place. Um, if there's no electricity, then you're, you're in a bit of a conundrum because you're asking people to boil water, but they're not having a way to do that. So th- in those situations, you need to ensure that you're providing water, that you're bringing in, trucking in safe potable water. You know, another area that frequently causes public health problems following uh, hurricanes or floods has to do with injuries. This is a really big issue following those because people will come back to their homes and start to do home repair. And it's important that people understand how to do this safely so that preventable injuries are avoided. If you've just joined us, you're listening to a special segment, Focus on Disaster Medicine, on ReachMD XM157. I'm your host, Dr. Jennifer Hsu. Our guest is Dr. Richard Besser, Director of the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's Coordinating Office for Terrorism, Preparedness, and Emergency Response. We're discussing the CDC's role during public health emergencies. Now, it's been three years following Hurricane Katrina, and there's been some time to think about things that didn't work so well and things that needed improvement. How would you say CDC's emergency response has changed since then? CDC, as an agency, has taken a very professional approach to emergency preparedness and response. The office that I direct is relatively new. Ten years ago, there was no coordinating office for emergency preparedness and response at CDC. Now we have a very established approach to preparedness and response that ensures that resources are allocated across the agency appropriately to accomplish our mission, that we're exercising regularly to ensure that all of our systems are ready to go for the next emergency. These are critical components of being prepared. We look forward to a day in which every employee at CDC has their day job, but also knows what their role would be in a major public health emergency. Um, Because if you're looking at emergencies such as a global pandemic, something on that scale, it's going to require that all of our personnel are ready to go and ready to respond. Now, in touring some of the disaster sites recently, how would you say they differ from what you saw in Katrina, for example? You know, I began my job in emergency preparedness and response when Katrina hit. And I had uh, the opportunity recently to visit Tyler, Texas and Baton Rouge following Hurricane Gustav. And I would have to say that, it, that the improvements are just phenomenal. One of the critical aspects of the response to Hurricane Gustav was that the community took this seriously and, and left. They evacuated the areas that were likely to be impacted. Over uh, one and a half million people left the Gulf Coast And what we found following Hurricane Gustav is that there was no need for search and rescue. People had left the communities that were most severely affected, and search and rescue was not needed. There were 80,000 people in shelters following Hurricane Gustav. 
This represented those individuals who really did not have another option for evacuation. The vast majority of that one and a half million people had a plan, knew where to go, and executed that plan. And that's what preparedness is about. Um, you don't want to put all your efforts into response. If your community can be prepared, if each family has a personal response plan, if each physician ensures that their patients are prepared, and by that, a prepared patient knows what medical condition they have, they know what medications they're on, they hopefully have a, a backup prescription, a backup 30 days for each of their medications, so that when they have to evacuate, if they have to evacuate, they can maintain their medical treatment, and when they see a provider in a new community, that provider can be informed as to what conditions that patient has. Can you talk a little bit about continuity of care and um, seeing a provider in a new community, as you mentioned? What are some strategies for making sure that medical record information is transmitted? Are there some options for getting the patient's own doctors to go with them on an evacuation? What things might help? Well, I, I think that the long-term solution is, is electronic medical records so that individuals can access their medical information anywhere that they are. We're clearly not there yet. And so, you know, I don't think we can be dependent on those kinds of systems. But an informed uh, patient who has a, a personal medical record that's got all the components, that's a, a critical piece. From a public health perspective, it's also important that there are registries available of individuals who have communicable diseases. This is something that was a, a real challenge during Hurricane Katrina in terms of tracking individuals who had resistant tuberculosis and ensuring that they stayed in treatment ensuring that they didn't go into a general population shelter and thereby infect other people. There are very strong relationships between the medical community, the public health community, and the American Red Cross to ensure that individuals coming into shelters are uh, appropriately triaged and supported. Does the CDC recommend that civilian doctors be prepared to be called upon to provide medical care in such emergencies like this? You know, I think that the clinical community has an enormous role to play in preparedness and response. What I mean by that, when there's a disruption and there's a massive influx of, of, of patients to a community, if you're in a receiving community, being able to look and see what can you do as a clinician to provide support, what planning is going on right now in your community that you could get involved in. Um, I was incredibly impressed by what I saw in Tyler, Texas. In Tyler, they received a lot of uh, folks with special medical needs from the Gulf Coast. They had special medical shelters that had been set up. Some were staffed by federal disaster medical assistance teams from around the country, but some were, were staffed by physicians from within that community who had exercised, they knew their roles. One of the sectors in which there is often some slack in terms of ability to provide additional clinical care is in the academic medical community. Many of these folks, I was an academic pediatrician for a number of years, many of these folks split their time between research, teaching, and clinical care. And in the setting of an emergency, they can shift the percentage of time they're spending on clinical care to be able to make up that deficit. In Tyler, we saw dozens and dozens of nursing students who were providing services in the shelter. They were helping patients administer their insulin. We saw medical students providing services. This isn't something that you want to figure out after the event. It's something you want to plan for because often what you find after the event is that an influx of volunteers who haven't been planned for, who aren't credentialed ahead of time, who haven't participated in some of the systems for credentialing across states, 
actually can be a burden on the response. Where do you think there's the most room for improvement in public health emergency preparedness right now? I think the biggest area where we need to see improvement in emergency preparedness and response is in the area of the personal or family emergency response plan. When you look at surveys and how many people have a response plan, how many have a family communication plan, how many have stockpiled three days' worth of supplies, So if there's an emergency and they have to leave, they can take their go kit and run. It's extremely low. It's under 10%. And until the American population views emergency preparedness as just one of those things that everyone does, it's just part of routine doing business, we're not going to be prepared as a country. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Richard Besser. We've been discussing the CDC's role during public health emergencies. I'm Dr. Jennifer Hsu. You've been listening to a special segment, Focus on Disaster Medicine, on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Be sure to visit our website at reachmd.com, featuring on-demand podcasts of our entire library. For comments and questions, please call us toll-free at 888-MD-XM-157, and thank you for listening.